Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Dearest brothers and sisters in Islam, um, I hope you had a productive icebreaker with each other, um, sharing the results of your homework from last night, which was to run that gap analysis uh, between the ideals in your life and where you are right now. Um, welcome uh, to Arba'in Nawawi. Uh, please settle down. Welcome to Arba'in Nawawi, uh, the 40 hadith of Imam Al Nawawi. As described earlier, um, this will be session one for today, three hours, and then session two will be another three hours with Sheikh Bilal Ismail, and we'll be learning about the first 100 years. Session three will be another three hours, and that will be with Sheikh Dawood Bhutbash, learning about Islamic morals, manners, and etiquettes. Um, nine hours of instruction a day, aside of other reminders and your personal um, interaction. Uh, in terms of um, our session together, we will be studying today and tomorrow, and if there is a need, then um, we'll try and um, finish up um, on day three, or sorry, day four. Uh, and uh, as I said, the objective is not to go through all the hadith in this particular knowledge hive, uh, but to go through them um, in a way that is of benefit to each and every one of us uh, with the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then continue on uh, during other knowledge hives. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserve us in his obedience and in good health. Ameen. And so that we can uh, come together to learn further from the inheritance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So why have we chosen this book? I promise that we will make this clear uh, right at the beginning before we uh, traverse and get into uh, the first narration. Firstly, um, from the outset, we praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, for bringing us uh, together uh, to learn from the inheritance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and uh, coupled with the other du'as that we shared, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us a people that um, only move for the sake of Allah and only remain uh, static for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We speak for his sake, we remain silent for his sake, we do for his sake, we leave for his sake. Uh, Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen, as we will learn in uh, the first um, narration in which uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Indeed, there is nothing about your actions except that they are judged by uh, intentions. And no doubt seeking knowledge is from the greatest acts of worship. And in a hadith that is weak in terms of its establishment as a hadith, but its meaning is entirely correct, uh, it is reported that the Prophet said, Seeking knowledge is compulsory upon every Muslim. As I said, the narration is not established uh, in terms of it going back to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, given what the scholars of hadith have cited as certain issues in the chain, but its meaning is correct. And our scholars have told us that seeking knowledge uh, in terms of the Islamic rulings, doing so um, falls into two categories. Seeking knowledge, uh, number one, which is compulsory upon every Muslim. Every Muslim. Because that is knowledge that no Muslim can be ignorant of. And this is known as fardu'ayn. Fardu'ayn, it's compulsory upon every Muslim to learn this knowledge. No Muslim is allowed to be ignorant of it. And then there is um, a second category uh, which consists of knowledge which is a communal obligation in terms of it being known, which is known as fardu kifada. So we have fardu'ayn, which is compulsory upon every Muslim. Knowledge which is compulsory upon every Muslim to know and to learn. This is fardu'ayn. And then we have fardu kifayah, uh, or al-fard al-kifai, 
which refers to a communal obligation, that knowledge which uh, a community has an obligation to know. If one or two or three members in that community at least has knowledge of that uh, particular topic or matter, it will suffice uh, um, for the rest uh, of uh, his or her community. Why? Because they will be a reference for their community, right? So um, the meaning of this narration, even though it's not established, is correct. When the Prophet wasallam says seeking knowledge is compulsory upon every Muslim, then yes, seeking that knowledge which every Muslim has to know is compulsory upon every Muslim. Like salah, the rules of salah, the rules of zakah, what makes it correct, what nullifies its correctness, what nullifies it being accepted. This has to be known to every Muslim who observes the salah and every Muslim has to observe the salah. The same applies with zakah and fasting and so on and so forth. If you're a person who's not involved in trade, then it's not compulsory for you to know the rules of trade, right? But it's a communal obligation. At least someone in your society should know the rules of trade. But the moment you start trading, then it becomes compulsory upon you to know the knowledge in relation to that trade. And that is why Umar ibn Khattab, radiallahu an, it is reported that he would stand at the gates of Medina, uh, the gates of the, the trade area of Medina, and he would give a spot test to those entering um, that particular market to ensure that they knew what they needed to know with regards to transactions. And if they failed his spot test, he would chase them away and tell them don't bring riba and interest to our market through ignorance. So if you don't trade, it's not fardu'ain, it's not compulsory upon you as an individual to know the knowledge related to transactions, but if you get involved, then you have to. And if you're not involved, at least someone in your community needs to know because it becomes a communal obligation so that there's a reference point for you. And uh, just out of interest for you, inshallah, Al-Kawthar is working on a one-day course related to Islamic Transactions 101 in which we will be sharing with you the basics uh, with regards to transactions. So uh, may Allah grant us ikhlas, especially since we are involved in an act of worship. Seeking knowledge is an act of worship. My dearest brothers and sisters in Islam, whilst we're talking about seeking knowledge, then it also must be understood that seeking knowledge needs to happen with its rules, with its regulations. Due diligence has to be met. And we will be discussing some of uh, these matters when we take the second hadith, the second narration uh, in this compilation of hadith, which is the hadith of, or the hadith known as the hadith of Jibreel, uh, salam, uh, in which Jibreel came down from the heavens um, as a student and as a teacher, right? The scholars have deduced many etiquettes, many rules, many regulations uh, with regards to seeking knowledge. So seeking knowledge has its rules, it has its regulations, it has its uh, criteria. And from the criterion of seeking knowledge is that knowledge is sought, as our scholars say, shay and fashay. Shay and fashay meaning it's done in its portions. It's done with its curriculum. You've taken the knowledge of a particular level before taking the knowledge that comes after that, partic uh, that particular level. So you're not haphazard and random in how you seek your knowledge. It happens with structure. It happens with diligence. And as our scholars would say, that you seek the small knowledge before the big knowledge, meaning the foundational knowledge before the knowledge that exists because of that foundation. If you jump straight to the leaves and you are uh, in oblivion with regards to the roots and the stem, then you really won't have uh, complete knowledge. You really won't have sound knowledge, right? Um, knowledge based 
uh, upon a strong founding uh, because you can't. You don't understand its source well. So it must happen with structure um, and diligence and uh, especially given today how people seek knowledge. Uh, in many a case, uh, they seek knowledge through casual learning. This needs to be highlighted and inshallah we'll touch more on it uh, when we uh, discuss the hadith of uh, Jibreel alayhi salam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us uh, the understanding. We must understand my dearest brothers and sisters in Islam as well since we are in a knowledge hive and the term knowledge exists in our in the title of this particular program that we shouldn't do a disservice to knowledge by labeling it as easy and it happens especially from the cultures that we come from we say oh this topic is easy and that topic is hard and this topic is simple and that topic is more intricate and and you know uh, and so we, we we have this habit from the lives that we uh, are immersed in uh, to pass statements like this. No one should say knowledge is easy. And in fact, Imam Malik, rahimahullah, someone uh, mentioned the statement in front of him and said that, uh, you know, uh, these are easy, uh, you know, uh, the questions I'm asking you entail answers that are easy, right? There's a, there's a famous narration that we always hear about of how a group of travelers came from a faraway land with a list of questions because they heard of Imam Dar al-Hijrah, the Imam of Medina, the Imam of the lands of the Hijrah. And this Imam is phenomenal in terms of his knowledge. And they pitched their questions to him around 30 and the Imam for around 24 uh, of them, depending on the narration that we have. Uh, he said, I don't know. So he only offered them answers in around, uh, for around six questions. For 24, he said, I don't know. So the person responded and said, you are the Imam of Medina and we've come from a long way and the answers to these questions are easy. And Imam Malik uh, took offense to that statement and he said, Laysa fil -ilmi khafif. There's nothing easy and light when it comes to this inheritance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There's nothing easy and light when it comes to this knowledge. Al-ilmu kulluhu thaqeel. All of knowledge is heavy. All of knowledge is weighty. And then he said to them, أَمَا سَمِعْتَ قَوْلَ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ إِنَّا سَنُلْقِ عَلَيْكَ قَوْلًا ثَقِيلًا Have you not heard Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying to his messenger, indeed we will reveal unto you a weighty word. Did you not hear that? So everything revealed is weighty. If it's simple for you to understand, you have to revise it. And as you revise it, it will become even clearer. And if you haven't understood, you have to continue learning it. And as you continue learning it, it will become clearer. But know and understand, O servant of Allah and O child of Adam, that knowledge is not sought as a means, uh, sorry, as an end in and of itself. Knowledge is not sought as an end in and of itself. It's sought as a means to an end. It's sought as a means to an end. The end of knowledge is to put it into practice. So it might be easy upon your brain to understand. But the question is, does that knowledge define you? Is it part and parcel of you? Have you internalized it? Has it become part and parcel of your definition as a human being? If it hasn't, then no matter how easy it is for you to understand, understand how heavy that knowledge is. Because if everything was easy, then it would be part and parcel of your defined being easily. Right? And this should be the yardstick through which we uh, understand our program. That we've learned a lot, yes. We enlightened maybe, yes. The question is, how much of the knowledge that you've learned do you implement? 
May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us. Ameen. So the point is, brothers and sisters in Islam, respect knowledge. Everything that will be said and everything that has been said and everything that will be said over the course of your lives attending different Islamic seminaries, go to it with a humble nature, understanding that what you're about to receive, your shoulders are not strong enough to carry it. Let me humble myself and seek assistance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when we look into the Quran, there is no dua that Allah commanded his Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam to make except one. There's only one dua that he commanded his Prophet to make sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and that is the dua in which he says, This is the only dua that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was commanded to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for to make this is the supplication he was commanded to make in which Allah says and say oh my Lord increase my knowledge increase my knowledge and obviously knowledge here is comprehensive in meaning it entails action action meaning the knowledge that breeds action because true knowledge is knowledge that is implemented when it's not implemented it's mere data when you process that knowledge it becomes information right so when we talk about knowledge, we're not talking about raw data. We're talking about process knowledge, which is knowledge that is part and parcel of you and the life that you uh, live. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us this understanding. Ameen. Ya Rabbil Alameen. Um, in terms of the book uh, of Imam al-Nawawi, rahimahullah, then for those who've gone through the book previously or looked at some of the printed pages that we have from the book, you'll see that there's nothing really from the Imam. The book really is... Uh, a compilation of hadith, right? You, uh, you know, as you go through it, you just find um, chapter one and a hadith, chapter two and a hadith, chapter three and a hadith. There's no explanation, nothing is offered. So, why do we call it the book of Imam and Nawawi? Well, what we mean by it, it's a book compiled, a book of hadith compiled by Imam uh, and Nawawi, uh, rahimahullah. Um, and what is compiled in this book? Narrations from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Imam al-Nawawi, who is known as Yahya ibn Sharaf al-Nawawi, you have some um, notes related to his life um, in the course book that you have. He was Yahya ibn Sharaf al-Nawawi, and some people pronounce it as al-Nawawi. All this is acceptable. Al-Nawawi, al-Nawawi. Uh, basically, it references his place of origin, which was Nawa, and this Imam, uh, is a great imam. He's a pillar of the Shafi'i madhab. He's an imam in hadith. He's an imam in fiqh. He's an imam uh, in um, other areas uh, in terms of the Islamic sciences. Uh, he's written many a book which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed with acceptance. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed his books with acceptance. In fact, uh, as I said, he's a pillar of the Shafi'i madhab. Right? And uh, the later Shafi'is they actually say that if the view of Imam al-Nawawi matches the view of Imam al-Rafi'i, who is another scholar of fiqh of the Shafi'i madhab, then that becomes the madhab of the Shafi'is in our day and time today. And that's a massive statement. That is testimony to uh, the fiqhi knowledge of the Imam. The level of understanding that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed him with in terms of the religion. So he's written in hadith. Uh, he is the famous explainer or his explanation of Sahih Muslim is uh, one of the most famous uh, exp uh, explanations that uh, we have out today. And we say famous because it is an explanation that many of the biggest Islamic seminaries and institutes use uh, in uh, curriculum development, uh, in explaining 
uh, a hadith from Sahih Muslim. Other people uh, attempted to uh, explain uh, the hadith gathered by Imam Muslim, who was an imam of hadith a long time before Imam al-Nawawi. He gathered a book known as Sahih Muslim. There was another imam known as Imam al-Bukhari. He gathered a book known as Sahih al-Bukhari. Imam Muslim wrote a commentary to Sahih Muslim. Sorry, Imam al-Nawawi wrote a commentary to Sahih Muslim, whereby we have the hadith and he would write an explanation of the hadith uh, and also cover elements pertaining to the science of hadith with regard to that hadith. And um, in his commentary of Sahih Muslim, he wrote an introduction to Sahih Muslim. And this introduction is used as well in many of the biggest Islamic seminaries in the world today to teach people about the science of hadith. Because in it he's mentioned pearls. And this shows that Allah has placed acceptance in the hearts of the people with regards to the knowledge that this Imam has shared. That they consider what he said in terms of the science of hadith as something authoritative, not something to brush away. That Imam al we said this, so this is a valid uh, uh, understanding that we should take in our understanding of the sciences of hadith and how to study the narrations of the Prophet wasallam and how to adjudicate these uh, uh, narrations and, and, and uh, you know, uh, how to traverse through them in terms of looking at the chains and are the chains together or are the issues with the chains or the different narrators in the chains what was the level of their memory, whether they met certain teachers or they didn't meet certain teachers, or how did they receive this narration? Did it come from a book of their teacher that they found after the teacher passed away? Or did they actually hear the hadith verbatim from the mouth of their teacher? And did the teacher gave, give them permission to narrate the hadith from them? All this is the science of hadith. It's a massive science, which even the non-Muslims today, they praise Islam for and the Muslims for. They say these were, this science is a game changer, right? The science of hadith is a game changer. Uh, the non-Muslims acknowledge uh, the science of hadith and the science of fiqh, usul al-fiqh, as two sciences that are game changers, that even they take grand benefit from, subhanAllah. So Imam al-Nawawi was an authority in these matters. And not only that, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed this Imam with acceptance, right? Because Imam al-Nawawi passed away very early. He wasn't very old when he passed away. Some sources cite him to have passed away at the age of 43. Now, imagine you pass away at the age of 43, but you have books that act as the basis of curriculum across the globe today. Across the globe today. Centuries after you pass away. That is acceptance from Allah. And that is a sign of ikhlas. That is a sign of sincerity. That even though he's passed away, it's as if he's alive building Jannah. Why? Because what he left is Sadaqatul Jariyah for him. And today we are Sadaqatul Jariyah for him. Because we're studying his 40 Nawawi. Many people compiled a, a, a book of 40 narrations of hadith. But his compilation is the most famous. Riyadh al-Salihin. Who knows this book? Or who doesn't know it? Everyone knows Riyadh al-Salihin. It's translated into multiple languages. The Gardens of the Righteous. Again, it is all a compilation of different narrations from the Prophet That's it. No explanations given besides uh, the chapters that the Imam cited. Because in the wordings that he used for his chapters, do we understand his fiqh? Right? We understand his view on certain things from how he worded it. But that's all we have. And this book is probably uh, the most uh, recognized book in terms of hadith compilation book um, 
with the general public across the globe. I, I, many masajid from many of the travels I've been to have in the masjid Riyadh al-Salihin. Or the imam is reading this book or some of the narrations from this book as a reminder after Salatul Asr or after Salatul Fajr. This is acceptance from Allah. This is acceptance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The fiqh books is written. You won't find an Islamic seminary void of mentioning. Al-Majmu' of Imam al-Nawawi. Or Rodut al-Talibin of Imam al-Nawawi. These are his books of fiqh. Right? Subhanallah, great acceptance. Such a short life, but full of impact. High impact individuals. He was sincere. And one of the things this, uh, the, uh, the, the, the commentators say about him is he had a beautiful heart. There's the purity of his heart that has, has, has brought his knowledge to the ummah centuries after. That he's resting in his grave, but it's as if he's tired on earth writing books and building Jannah and teaching. <laughs> he himself couldn't teach his knowledge the way it's taught today. Across the globe, probably right now we're studying it here. Someone else in, in another part of the world in a different time zone is reading another book of his and teaching it to some other students. He couldn't duplicate himself like that. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed him with duplication. And one famous story that um, is mentioned in relation to him is he was young. Uh, sorry, he, he died young, but also he was not too well to do. And once he saved up and he um, bought himself a pair of slippers. A fairly nice pair of slippers. And then he went to the masjid and he prayed. And when he came out of the masjid, he couldn't find his slippers. I don't know if it happens uh, where you come from. You know, sometimes you take those nice sneakers, those nice shoes, and then you come and say, Subhanallah, it happens, right? Somebody felt that it was fitna for them. They had to leave with it. So Imam Manawah, we looked around quickly, looked around. He saw a man walking with his slippers. So Imam Manawah, we started running after him, like what you and I would do. We'd see someone with our shoes, hey, and we'd be running after him. So the students of the Imam, they see Imam al-Nawawi running, uh, running after this, this person who's taken his slippers. And Imam al-Nawawi is calling him, Ya ibn akhi, Ya ibna, oh son of my brother, Ya ukhay, oh my younger brother. Right? Shouting at him. Now this guy looks behind, sees, hey, that must be the owner of the shoes. So he starts walking faster. Imam al-Nawawi starts walking faster. So he starts jogging. So Imam al-Nawawi starts jogging. He starts running. Now Imam al-Nawawi is running. Now the students are like, what's going on? That's our sheikh. He's running. Imam al-Nawaw is running after him and calling him and calling him. But this guy is scared and says, I stole his shoes, I'm in trouble. But Imam al-Nawaw was running after him. Why? There's a reason. And not the reason why you and I would run after the person. <laughs> There's a different reason. Imam al-Nawaw is shouting out to the guy when he saw that he's not stopping. He said, Qul qabil, Qul qabil. Say, I've accepted. Say, I've accepted. So this man is not listening to qabilt, wala sharibt, wala shaykh. He's not listening to anything. He is running for his life. And he didn't change. So Imam al-Nawawi comes back sad. So the students are like, okay, Imam, don't worry. You know, we, we, we get some money together. We'll buy you another pair of slippers. Khair. Qadr Allah. It happens. So, you know, you're looking sad, Sheikh. And uh, the Imam says, no, uh, I'm not worried about the pair of slippers. You see, Imam al-Nawawi had a fiqh view that if you give someone a gift, it's not counted as a gift until they accept. If I gift you something and you don't accept it officially and I pass away, that is included in my inheritance. 
according to Imam Al-Nawawi. It's not taken out and given to the person, even if the children knew that no, he gifted this car or this phone or something to the other. As long as that person, there's no evidence that they accepted, this is the fiqh view of Imam Al-Nawawi. So this is a Shafi'i as well. Some scholars have this view. As long as it hasn't been accepted, the transaction is not complete, it's not counted as a gift. So Imam Al-Nawawi was shouting out to him, say I accept, say I accept. Just say you accept, because I've gifted it to you. Why? So on the day of Qiyamah, I'm not immune from my brother to have difficulty in hand of Allah. This is why he was shouting. We, talk, we spoke about tarbiyah. Huh? He's telling his students that it's not about you putting money and buying my shoe. I'm not crying and sad because my shoes are gone. I'm crying and sad because subhanAllah on the day of Qiyamah, I'm going to be a means of my brother in prosperity because of these shoes. He's going to have to answer for this. So I was saying, say I accept, so it's counted as a gift and he doesn't have to answer about for this on the day of Qiyamah. Today, subhanAllah, brothers and sisters in Islam, we threaten our brothers and sisters that we'll see you on the day of Qiyamah. Huh? I will meet you there on the day of Qiyamah. Huh? And we do it with, with, uh, with passion. That we're ready to create problems for you on that day. And Imam Nawawi was, uh, nothing is worth my brother going to difficulty in front of Allah on the day of Qiyamah, especially because of me. It's a pair of slippers, let it go. So he had a beautiful heart. And no doubt he had sincerity, and that's why his books have this acceptance, subhanAllah, across the globe, across centuries, that even though he passed away at the age of 43, it's as if he's lived for a thousand. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us like how Imam al-Nawawi was blessed. Ameen. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gather us with him in Jannah as well. Ameen. And again, brothers and sisters, we started this talk reminding each other towards ikhlas. Let's, let's learn from, this, from the life of this Imam. That when you are mukhlis, when you do something for the sake of Allah, you might only have three or four people read your work today. Right? But if Allah blesses it to last because of that ikhlas, thousands and thousands will read it till the day of Qiyamah. Whilst you rest in your grave, your Jannah will be getting bigger. Huh? Allah will be planting uh, uh, gardens for you in Jannah and digging streams for you in Jannah. Right? And, 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 and raising castles for you in Jannah. Whilst you rest in your grave and you won't know that you meet Allah on the day of Qiyamah you say, Ya Allah, but where did this come from? This can't be me. These are not my deeds. And Allah in, informs you and gives you the bushra, gives you the glad tidings. that this is from the fruit of the deeds that you did when you were alive. May Allah bless us with these deeds. Ameen. So, um, for, uh, with regards to uh, this book, we've said the, the compiler is Imam and Nawawi. Now, there's a little story to this book. And that story is in the form of um, this book um, originally being compiled by another imam of hadith known as Imam Ibn Salah. Imam Ibn Salah was, was, uh, is considered um, a pillar in terms of hadith and its sciences. So Imam Ibn Salah, rahimahullah, um, he gathered um, some narrations, 26 narrations, right? Narrations that are considered universal narrations. And Imam al-Nawawi added 16 narrations to it. So 26 plus 16 equals 42. So the book actually has 42 hadith. But it's known as the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi. Why 40? This is normal in the Arabic language. The Arabic language has a norm of rounding figures. Rounding figures, rounding up figures. 
So 42, so round it to the nearest tenth. And that is why sometimes you get con what we perceive as conflicting narrations, that sometimes we see an exact number mentioned in a narration, and sometimes we see a round figure mentioned. And somebody says, Tayyib, how do we reconcile? This hadith, this hadith tells us this particular number, and this hadith is talking about the same thing with another number. The scholars say there's no difference. There's no difference. The, 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 the narrator is narrating what they learned from the Prophet wasallam based on their knowledge of the Arabic language, that the norm of the Arabs was to round up. So one narrator gave a rounded figure, which was normal, and the other narrator was, was, uh, uh, was inspired by Allah to give the exact figure, and this is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protecting the knowledge of the Prophet wasallam. That we would reach a time whereby if we hear the rounded figure, we would really round it up. But at that time, even if they heard the rounded figure, they would know the exact figure, but understand that this is from our norm. Because the Arabic language is based on a norm of ease, where things are eased for you. Many words have changed for the sake of ease of pronunciation. Right? Right? Many words in the Arabic language, um, uh, w uh, you know, became commonly known uh, outside of its original form in the Arabic language because people spoke with it uh, with an easier dialect. Right? And the Arabic language facilitates that. Okay? Like tarikh. You guys are studying history. Tarikh. We say tarikh. The actual word is ta'rikh. Right? With that, uh, that the hamza, the tahmiz, ta'rikh. But when it's spoken, we say tarikh. This is easy on the tongue. This is easy on the throat, on the tongue, um, and pronunciation, and for people to engage each other uh, in conversation easily, whether you're young, whether you're old. It's easy. The Arabic language facilitates this, right? So um, Imam al-Nawawi added these 16 and it became 42 hadith. Another Imam came after, known as Al-Hafid ibn Rajab. <coughs> and Al-Hafid ibn Rajab, rahimahullah, he added eight narrations to the 40 hadith or 42 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi, right? He added eight. And... Um, the total number then became 50 narrations, okay? And um, he added the eight and he did an explanation of all the hadith. And this book is very famous as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed it. Jazakallah khair, Shaykh Allah bless you. Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed uh, the book of Al-Hafid ibn Rajab as well. And um, a lot of the explanations that are offered uh, about the hadith of Imam al-Nawawi today are taken from the work of Al-Hafid ibn Rajab because he explains the 16 hadith of Ibn Salah and then, uh, sorry, the 26 narrations of Ibn Salah and then the 16 narrations of Imam al-Nawawi as well as the 8 that he has added. Now, why, all why do we have this 40? Why is 40 the commonly shared number? Well, Imam al-Nawawi, rahimahullah, he actually mentions, by the way, the book of uh, Al-Hafid ibn Rajab is translated into English as well and it's known as Jami' al-Ulum wal-Hikam fi sharhi 50 hadithan Min Jawami' al-Kalima, right? Jami' al-Ulum, a universal presentation of knowledge and wisdoms in the explanation of 50 narrations from uh, universal speech. Universal speech refers to the speech of the Prophet It's translated into English, it's something you should have in your library and you will benefit from greatly. Um, so... Imam al-Nawawi, in his introduction to the 40 hadith of, of uh, al-Nawawi, <coughs> he writes a small introduction. And in this introduction, he states uh, that um, in a weak narration, 
uh, and all the scholars agree it's weak scholars of hadith he says the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is reported to have said man hafidha ala ummati 40 haditha min amri diniha ba'athahu allah ta'ala yawm al-qiyamati fi zumrat al-fuqaha'i wal-ulama right and in, a, in another narration ba'athahu allah faqihan 'aliha and in another narration wa kuntu lahu yawm al-qiyamati shafi'an wa shahida right um, and all uh, in, in fact there's other narrations qil lahu udkhul min ayyi abwab al-jannati shi'at in another narration kutiba kutiba fi zumrat al-ulama'i wa hushira fi zumrat al-shuhada and imam al-nawawi says wattafaq al-huffaz all the uh, scholars of hadith have a consensus that all these narrations are weak despite the many chains that we have or many ways that these narrations have reached us all of these narrations are weak so this is basically the basis why countless scholars over the uh, uh, the centuries of islam gathered their 40 hadith i told you this earlier many scholars did this but the most famous one was imam al-nawawi this is blessed this is because it was blessed by allah as we said so what do, what does this hadith say in english uh, the translation or a, a rough translation would be um, whoever protects for my ummah 40 narrations related to matters of the religion then allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will raise this person on the day of qiyamah amongst the family of the fuqaha and the ulama amongst the fact the family of the jurists and the, and, and the scholars and this is in the hadith of uh, abu sa'id al-khudri radiyallahu anhu he is the narrator uh, in another narration it states that Allah will raise him as a scholar and uh, as a faqih. So he won't be, in this uh, other version, it's not that he will be raised with them, he will be a scholar and a faqih. Uh, in the hadith of Abu Darda, عنه, we studied uh, a little bit about this uh, particular sahabi this morning, when Sheikh Dawood, hafidhahullah, uh, spoke to us about the hadith of seeking knowledge about uh, the man who traveled to Damascus to seek knowledge. He traveled to meet Abu Darda, radiallahu anhu. In the hadith of Abu Darda, وَكُنْتُ لَهُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ شَافِعًا وَشَهِيدًا The end of the hadith states that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that I will be to this person يوم القيام, on the day of Qiyamah as an intercessor and a witness. So if you do this, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam will be an intercessor for you and a witness. In the hadith of Ibn Mas'ud, the ending of the hadith says that a person who does this, it will be said to him, enter Jannah from any of the doors that you wish to enter from. In the narration of Ibn Umar, it says uh, at the end of the hadith, whoever does this, he will be written from the family of the scholars and he will be raised with the martyrs. But as we said, all these hadith are weak, uh, as Imam al-Nawawi says. However, Imam al-Nawawi goes on to say in his introduction, but all the scholars agree that you're allowed to use weak narrations for matters not related to halal and haram. So it's a weak narration, yes, but it's not related to halal and haram. So based on it, this action has taken place. Now, this is fine <coughs> in general. However, what's incorrect is the statement the scholars have, uh, have a consensus that it's allowed for us to act using weak hadith. This is not entirely correct because there is a difference of opinion between the scholars regarding uh, our relationship with a narration which is graded as weak it's not uh, a consensus when we say it's a consensus when all the scholars have come together and said even though it's weak 
if it's got nothing to do with halal and haram or the foundations of the religion, you can use it. So in your mind, you feel the scholars, have ex this is a consensus between them. But the reality is the scholars have differed. It's not a consensus. And perhaps Imam al-Nawawi meant here when he said the scholars have a consensus, meaning the scholars that he approached, right? Or the books that he read from, which is fine. There was no Google at his time. There was no instant, insta-knowledge access at his time. So he had access to what he had access to. But today, with uh, manuscripts being published and moved online and uh, at our fingertips at the push of a button, we have access to a plethora of different views. And what we've seen is that there's no consensus amongst the scholars about this. Some scholars have outright, outrightly said no, as long as the hadiths are weak, should that have any application in your life. Some scholars have said yes, it can with conditions. This is not the place for us to discuss this. I just want to highlight this point. That Imam Nawawi says there's a consensus amongst the scholars that we allow to use weak hadith in matters that are not in, uh, that are not related to the foundations of the religion or halal and haram. We say that there's no consensus between the scholars. However, some scholars have allowed it to be used with certain conditions and acting upon these hadith to gather the 40 uh, conforms to, inshallah, uh, the view of the scholars who say you can with conditions, right? So we don't say that Imam al-Nawawi has practiced a bid'ah here or the other scholars of hadith have done a bid'ah. What I'm highlighting for you is that there's no authentic hadith as Imam al-Nawawi says which tells us to gather our 40 hadith. We have an authentic hadith which tells us whoever memorizes the 99 names of Allah and looks after them and understands them and lives their life by them, they will go to Jannah. That is authentic. If a Muslim sits down today and says, I am gathering 99 names of Allah and I'm going to memorize them, revise them, learn the meanings of them, implement them based on this hadith, you say that's fine. Does that make sense? But if somebody says, I'm gathering 40 hadith because it's a sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, we say, no, there's no authentic hadith to validate this. Is that clear, brothers and sisters in Islam? Is it clear? Is it getting too technical for you guys? You sure? This is knowledge hive, right? Yeah. Tayyip. So, um, this is the next point that I wanted to discuss with regards to this particular um, uh, book and the history of this particular book. So, the first 26 narrations of this particular book, who put them together? and the Salahaf is a bit of respect, sir. Uh, don't say Ibn Salah like he's my bro. Huh? <laughs> right? So Ibn Salah, uh, yes, he put, he put the first 26 and Imam al-Nawawi came with the remaining 16. So that makes it a total of 42. Why is it called 40 when there's 42 narrations? Because it's a norm with the Arabs to uh, deliver figures in a rounded uh, fashion. In a rounded fashion. Um, the next thing that I want to highlight about this particular book is all the narrations in it, the universal narrations. What do we mean, what do we mean by universal narrations? We mean that they, they, they are narrations that carry um, a high impact presence in your life. That if you studied these 40 narrations or 42 narrations, or if you studied the 50 narrations of, uh, in, in Al-Hafid ibn Rajab's uh, book, then really you would have grounding in your religion. Because these 40 narrations cover aqidah. They cover um, methodology. 
they cover morals, manners, etiquette, that you would have a grounding in your deen, really. If you properly taught your kids as a start, the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi uh, or al-Hafid ibn Rajab's book, the 50 narrations, you would have given them a goodness, subhanAllah, that you cannot place a value on. Really, in terms of the grounding, because all these narrations are universal. That in a few words, the Prophet sallallahu is teaching us so much with regards to the pillars of the deen, with regards to belief in one Allah, with regards to belief in qada and qadr, right? So you, you learn about uh, the pillars of Islam, you learn about the pillars of Iman, you learn about matters pertaining to the hereafter, you learn about matters pertaining to the unseen, you learn about methodology in terms of halal and haram, you learn about uh, uh, even how to deal with differences of opinion. Many people ask today, how do we deal with differences of opinion? You find that answer in your study of Arba'in uh, al-Nawawi, really. If we, um, uh, you know, uh, dedicated ourselves to truly understanding uh, the ahadith uh, of uh, al-Nawawi or uh, al-Hafid ibn Rajab's book, we would really find um, a good grounding in uh, the religion. Uh, I've been given a yellow card and now I've been given uh, a, a red card, but we're almost there. I just want to uh, cover the next few points, inshallah, then we'll, we'll break, uh, ta'ala, so that when we come back, we can dive into the first hadith. The sixth thing that I want to mention, brothers and sisters, is uh, all the narrations in this book of Imam al-Nawawi are authentic. So he had a plan. And he continued his plan uh, from uh, the, the methodology of Al-Hafid ibn Salah, Rahmatullahi alayhim ajma'in, that we will put universal narrations, that narrations that carry a plethora of meanings, in the shortest amount of words or the, the least amount of words. Number one, number two, we make sure all these narrations are uh, authentic. And number the, the last thing I want to say in terms of this particular book is the Imam deleted the, the chains of narration. So you don't find the hadith mentioned with the chains. You just mention the Sahabi that narrated it from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the scholars have said that he had an objective behind this and that was to make it easy for the Ummah to memorize the hadith. Because not everyone has the brain capacity to memorize different names. When you had 15, 20, 25, 30 names in front of the narration, وعن 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 وعن, and then the narration, it would be difficult for people and shy away probably, right? So uh, because he's a scholar of hadith, he's an authority, if he deletes the chain, uh, you know, uh, people will see it as an authority having done so, and then he offers an explanation as to why nobody will doubt over uh, the years to come uh, regarding the authenticity of this hadith. All the narrations are authentic, and the sanad or the chains have been deleted to make it easy for us to memorize. All right, action point. We should try and memorize the 42 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi over the course of the year, at least until the next knowledge house, right? Let's make this an action point. Alhamdulillah, as I said, the book has been blessed with khidmah. The ummah has acted in service to this book. It, it exists in a plethora of languages. So you have access to the hadith, you have access to the meanings. Right? And if you memorize them, this will be the start in terms of pushing you to wanting to learn what this hadith means. So you're going to demand that, you know, the next knowledge hive has the next set of hadith. And the next knowledge hive after that has the next set of hadith. Why? Because you want to develop your journey. That okay, I've memorized them, I've understood the meaning in English, now I need to go into the details of it. It's a process. Remember we said we take ilm in stages. So please write this as an action point. When we did Suratul Kahf together uh, in uh, Australia, what was the action point? That you had to memorize Suratul Kahf across four months. Those who attended and you did it, glad tidings to you. That's a valid action point. You, you, you understood the meanings, you had uh, you know, a relationship with the surah. Uh, 110 ayah, plus or minus, and we said four months, we gave you time for sick leave, 
and stuff as well, right? We, we rounded it off to, uh, to four months. Inshallah, you did that. Now, add to that, bismillahi ta'ala, arba'in al-nawawi. Let's break for a break. And uh, inshallah, when we return, we will begin the first hadith, the hadith of Umar ibn Khattab, radiallahu anhu, wa sallallahu wa sallam, wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.